Let's pray together. Jesus, we bless you. We thank you that even as you hung there, you spoke words of love from the cross. Would you speak those same words of love to your people tonight, to your world that still needs to know the truth of your gospel? We pray, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit would convict us and convince us of the truth of it and that our lives would never be the same. Speak your word tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What does it feel like to be robbed? Maybe you've been robbed before and you know exactly how that feels. When I was in sixth grade, I was robbed. And although uh, what I'm about to tell you is an extremely petty crime, it felt like a big deal to me as a 12-year-old. You see, I had this wonderful, incredible, magnificent yo-yo. Yo-yos were a big deal in 1998. And the yo-yo I had uh, just happened to be the biggest deal of them all. It was called the Yomega X-Brain. I had saved up my money in order to get this particular yo-yo because it was really unique. What would happen, I know all you can picture yo-yos, don't look at me like I'm crazy. You throw the yo-yo down, right? And it would sleep perfectly. Now, if you're not familiar with yo-yo lingo, sleeping is what the yo-yo does when it's spinning at the bottom of the string. Okay, you can picture that. The best yo-yos sleep for a long time, right? But eventually, that yo-yo is going to stop spinning. And the idea behind yo-yoing is that you pull that yo-yo back up before it loses all of its energy so that it can climb back up the string and back into your hand, right? Well, this particular yo-yo that I had, the reason it was unique, the reason it was called the X-Brain, was that after it had spun, after it had slept all that it was going to sleep and was about to slow down completely, it would come back up automatically. You didn't have to pull it back up into your hand. Now, this was cutting edge. I was, I was riding the wave of a, a yo-yoing revolution. And to show it off, I would take that yo-yo to school. And that was my fatal mistake. Because somewhere or another, one of my peers, they, they noticed my sweet auto-return Yomega X-Brain. And at some point... When I left my backpack unattended, this thief stealthily re removed this my pride and joy and took it for his own. Do you know what that felt like? It felt violating. I felt so disrespected. I felt sad. I was angry. That was mine. That was mine and you took it from me. Now, out of these emotions, I was passionate for justice. Passionate. I can remember for weeks as I was walking uh, the, the hallways of my middle school, I would look high and low for that beautiful red yo-yo, and I would rehearse in my head all the ways that I would confront this jerk when I found him. I never did. I never did. 
Do you know what it's like to be 12 years old and to lose $20 worth of yo-yo? I didn't have a job. I didn't have an allowance. I'd have to wait till my birthday or Christmas to get more money. This was a tragedy of the highest order. Didn't this guy, or maybe it was a girl, didn't this guy know the, the eighth commandment is do not steal? Didn't he know? I knew. This jerk didn't. My dad, he, he used to watch The Late Show with David Letterman all the time when I was growing up, and when he would let me watch it with him, shh, don't tell my mom, my favorite part of that show was Dave's top ten lists. Do you remember these? Well, I don't know if, if Dave got his idea from God, but God had the original top ten list, and theft makes it onto that list. Do not steal. These are some of the worst sins in God's book. And this guy just didn't care, right? Two weeks ago uh, in Sunday's sermon, I talked about sin using theologian Cornelius Plantinga's description of sin as this, a violation of shalom. A violation of shalom. God designed and created all things for perfect wholeness and peace. This is the the Hebrew word shalom. And he did that in order to bring him pleasure and glory and to cause flourishing for all of his creatures. But we humans, we humans have defaced, disordered, and destroyed that shalom. We vandalized it moment by moment for millennia to the point that it takes a great deal of imagination to even envision what a wholeness and peace actually looks like. What happens to God's shalom when we steal? What happens? What happens is that out of the evil desires of our hearts, right, we steal things from others that we desire. And when we do this, what happens is the trust that we had in that relationship, if there was any, it's gone, right? That trust is gone. And in the process, we've made the object of our theft, whether it's money or some material object, we've made that out to be more important than the person we stole from who is made in God's image. That's not true. That's evil. Just one theft brings with it widespread consequences. And so how does our theft make God feel? How does he feel about that kind of shalom breaking? I'm going to wager that God feels violated, disrespected, sad, angry, and passionate for justice. Have you ever stolen anything? Now, I know there are all sorts of terminology when it comes to theft, all right? There's larceny, there's robbery, there's burglary, there's shoplifting, fraud, theft, and grand theft. If there are any lawyers or police officers out here tonight, just bear with me. I'm going to group them all together and just call them fundamentally the same thing. Most of us have probably never stolen anything from our neighbor or from a store, except maybe when we were children. I believe that Blake confessed this to us the last time that he preached. Does this mean that none of us are thieves? 
Have you ever listened to a pirated song? Or watched a bootlegged movie? Have you ever taken that yummy-looking snack out of the company refrigerator when you know it was your co-workers? There was a post-it note right there with her name on it. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and asked for a water cup and yet filled it up with Coke? Have you ever misstated your earnings on your tax return? Have you ever borrowed a book from your friend with zero intention of returning it? Have you ever cut in front of someone in line? Have you ever pocketed all the shampoo and soap from the hotel room as you left? Have you ever used your friend's username and password for Netflix? Now, technically, these are all forms of petty theft, right? All of that, though, it's, it's even pettier than yo-yo stealing. None of it's a terribly big deal, right? What does God think? Has God ever looked at one instance of shalom breaking and said, no big deal? I think God knows what we know, and that is that this world is full of thieves. This room is full of thieves, all of us. And we're just talking about one of the things on God's top ten list. If there are thieves in this room, it's not surprising that we would find some thieves on Good Friday. John's gospel, which we read tonight, it didn't, didn't mention the thieves specifically. It just said that Jesus was crucified with two others. Now, in Luke's gospel, he goes a little bit further and he calls them criminals. But Matthew and Mark, they get specific. These guys are robbers. They're thieves. So we know that there were two thieves on crosses that day. The Roman Empire was so brutal and so quick to punish crimes with vigor that even theft demanded the death sentence. And of course, we should remember that this just isn't any form of execution. It, it wasn't lethal injection. And that's awful enough. Now, what the Romans wanted to do was offer a massive disincentive to any would-be criminals. They would take a large wooden beam. And they would hold the victim's arms and legs against it. And they would drive seven-inch iron spikes into his wrists and into his feet. Then they would lift that wooden beam up into the air with the victim on it. And then the victim would hang there in agony until he died from either exhaustion or asphyxiation. And sometimes this took days. Days. Then after he was dead, sometimes Rome would leave the victim just hanging there. Why? As a monument as a monument to what happens when you mess with the empire. And these two thieves, these two thieves, what might their names have been? Whose sons might they have been? Whose fathers? What might they have been guilty of? Did they steal bread from a merchant? Did they break into someone's home and steal their silver, or perhaps it was grand theft chariot. Did they get what they deserved? 
We don't know any of these things. We don't know. We just know that regardless of their names, their families, their crimes, and the justice of it, these two thieves were condemned to die a miserable death. That's all we know. And yet there, in between these two men, hung another man. His name was Jesus. He was the Son of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of his mother, Mary. His crime was perfect kingship, and therefore it would not be possible to state just how much Jesus did not deserve a death like this. We know, the world knows, how unfair, how unjust, and how despicable this scene is. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He faithfully lived out God's design for shalom at every moment of every day of every year of his earthly life. And out of all of us thieves, out of all of us vandals of shalom, it was Jesus who didn't deserve to be there, and yet there he was. And yet, let me tell you, in the six hours mercifully, that Jesus spent there on the cross. Jesus absolutely belonged there. You see, German theologian Helmut Thielich has said that there were not simply two thieves on Golgotha that day. There were three. Three. Yes, there was one on the left, and yes, there was one on the right, but there was also one hanging right there in the middle. How could I say that? Is that not sacrilege? What's theft? Theft is taking what rightfully belongs to someone else without any intention of giving it back. That thief on the middle cross took all sorts of things from me. You see, I, I've been vandalizing shalom since I was born. And all that sin, it belongs to me. It's mine. And nobody should take my stuff. My lust is mine. My anger is mine. My selfishness is mine. My envy is mine. My materialism is mine. My theft, it's all mine. It's mine. And for all that stuff, for all of that destruction of shalom, my debt to God is death. Death is my compensation for the evil things I've brought about through my life. And on the cross, Jesus took it all from me. He took all of our sins upon himself. And let me tell you, he has no intention of giving it back. I call that a thief. The sacrificial lambs of the old covenant, they were killed in place of the guilty people of Israel. The people's sins were placed upon a pure and spotless lamb and the death of that animal, atonement was made. Sins were paid for. 
And all of that ritual sacrifice, it pointed to, to what Christ would do on the altar of the cross. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Truly, that man on the middle cross is the greatest thief of them all. Don't you see? Do you know what it feels like to have Jesus take everything away? Do you know what it feels like to not get what you deserve? Do you know what it feels like to be robbed by God? It's joy. It's relief. It's triumph. This is the gospel. My brothers and my sisters, this is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wants to take what doesn't belong to him. Jesus wants to make atonement for every evil thought in your mind, every evil desire in your heart, every evil word in your mouth, and every evil action you've done so that you can go free. Jesus wants to undo all of your shalom breaking and usher in a new creation where all is made right. But Jesus only takes from those who ask him. Jesus only takes from those who believe the gospel. That God is so holy and therefore our sin against him is so great that we deserve death. But that Christ's death is so much greater still that through him we can be made holy. That's the gospel. And so I ask you tonight to ask yourself if for the first time has God taken anything from you? Has he taken your sin and given you holiness in its place? Has he taken your guilt and given you innocence? Has he taken your shame and given you acceptance? Has he taken your brokenness and given you wholeness? Has he taken your weakness and given you strength? Your anxiety and given you peace? Your rage and given you joy? Your despair and given you hope? Your bitterness and given you forgiveness? your self-absorption, and given you purpose? Has he taken your eternal damnation and given you eternal life? Has God taken anything from you? God's love for you is so deep so wide, so high, 
and so long that he would steal everything from you and give you himself instead. Oh, what a glorious thief on the middle cross.